Get a balanced analysis on both domestic and international topics within the framework of cross-cultural comparisons. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. European Union leaders have agreed upon a shift in the bloc's political direction to embrace the membership of not only Ukraine, but also Moldova, Georgia and Western Balkans. The historical decision also revealed internal divisions and challenges, in particular over talks on Ukraine's membership. So what's the motivation for the EU to embark on a new round of enlargement? Can expansion help deal with these internal challenges? And how could Ukraine's membership in the EU impact the Russia conflict? Join us for our discussion. I'm Xu Qinduo. Joining me are Cui Hongjian, professor with Academy of Regional and Global Governance, Beijing Foreign Studies University. Altrich Bruckner, professor of political science at Stanford University in Berlin. And Professor Glenn Deason from the University of Southeastern Norway. Welcome to Dialogue. Uh, Glenn, I will start with you. So, uh, you know, first of all, on EU enlargement, uh, what's the background? What's the rationale behind the latest round or, you know, proposal for enlargement? Well, I think that's uh, the, the, the good question because uh, I think even the optimists and supporters of having Ukraine eventually join the EU uh, recognize that this can't possibly happen uh, for at least a decade. So the timing for starting these negotiations uh, seemingly is uh, political. Absorbing smaller countries such as Georgia would be easier, but for larger countries uh, such as Ukraine with uh, with its poor governance and the economic incompatibility with the rest of the European Union, it simply isn't going to happen at all. I think it's a uh, the timing is probably because it's a bit of a time uh, for, I guess, a face-saving measure for the EU to give the impression of uh, solidarity, strength, and also the perception that the EU is standing by and helping Ukraine. It can also be to keep uh, the war going to some extent by providing Zelensky with some legitimacy and also give Ukrainians some motivation to continue fighting and you know sending more women and men to the trenches and. Uh, uh, it's also, uh, as Ukraine enters a critical time, it can increase uh, EU influence within Ukraine because uh, the EU, of course, has conditionalities for membership. And once the negotiations start, uh, this will be a source of, of influence. But uh, again, uh, the, the timing is interesting because ultimately Ukraine will not join the EU and it's quite at this point is probably at the weakest spot it has ever been. You know, it wasn't, uh, keep in mind that before 2014, when the EU offered the association agreement, it never actually wanted Ukraine to join NATO. Uh, also, even after uh, supporting the coup in 2014 in Ukraine, when after they re rejected this agreement, uh, the objective was very clear. It was to link Ukrainian economy to the EU and also decouple it from the Russians. But nobody actually wanted Ukraine to become an EU member. And uh, nothing has really changed as a result of this war. If anything, things have become worse. It, it's no less corrupt now. Democracy is even, uh, good governance is, is even worse because uh, democracy was largely dismantled after the coup in 2014, as you know, opposition is purged, the media has gone under state control, and human rights is, well, generally quite awful due to forced diversification of the population. So, but of course, the, I think the EU could have overcome all these problems. The main challenge, I think, is the economic aspect, because uh, the agricultural aspect, because keep in mind that EU farmers get, I think, about 200 euros in support each year for each hectare which has farmed. Well, Ukraine is one big farmland, so there's simply no possibility, I think, that the 
key EU states will accept ever that uh, Ukraine becomes a full member. Even Poland is mm-hmm. closest friend. So uh, I think my, my point is simply that uh, this I don't think there's any intention of allowing it actually to become a member. I think, again, uh, face-saving and a source of influence uh, in general. Professor Bruckner, so it's the political consideration. Uh, it has a lot to do with the ongoing conflict uh, in, in Ukraine. And also, what do you make of this, uh, you know, the sincerity or the lack of it? Well, it's not such a special situation. We have seen different enlargement rounds in the past that have also been very political. And it's also not a surprise that an enlargement process needs adjustments on both sides. And very often it was more than a decade. And this happened in these times when things were much more favorable than in the situation of the current candidates, which is partly the explanation why the Western Balkans are still waiting. They have not really shown much progress and therefore the European Union didn't have much appetite to enlarge any further. But it was clear right from the start that the European integration process that started with the European community is open for everyone who's committed to Western type democratic standards and a market economy and implement every single piece of law that this organization has ever produced. So this is the biggest challenge to make it happen that you do not just translate things in Ukrainian or Georgian, but you have to live it. And if a country fights a war, which is not a war on territory, it does not fight for territory, it fights for the commitment that it wants to belong to the West. So this is a systemic conflict and therefore the European Union feels a moral obligation to send a positive signal. How long this is going to take and all the technicalities like how much will farmers ever be uh, get This is peanuts compared with a matter of survival that is currently fought in the trenches in Ukraine. Hong Jian, some different uh, thinking here. Uh, What do you make of this latest move, you know, after years of, uh, let's say, you know, even Brexit? uh, Now we have Ukraine expansion here. So there is a consideration with the ongoing conflict, but also probably something beyond that. I think now it's a very uh, special time, different from the past. As we know, uh, to achieve the membership of the uh, European Union for some countries like Ukraine or some other Western Balkan states still are attractive. But of course, as we know, if we look at the process of uh, Brexit, especially now the difficult situation for the UK, I think European Union uh, also tried to give an example to some other member states that uh, the price of the exit from the European Union uh, of course, now we are also finding that the, the UK is trying to reshape its relations with the European Union, and especially uh, on some uh, uh, sectors like uh, security, scientific, and education, some other. I think it also will give some uh, encouragement to uh, European Union to you know raise its uh, visibility and credibility. But of course, now I think the uh, biggest problem for European Union and also for its uh, further enlargement is uh, from its uh, internal, I mean, problem or diversity or some uh, even arguments, especially if this time we look at what happened for the, uh, uh, you know, divergences between Hungary and some other member states. I think it's also showcase that uh, uh, now for European Union integration, 
it has to you know change the past or change the approach. It's very different from the past, especially within European Union. The debate on how about the multi-speed integration, but now the problem is not only multi-speed, maybe the different directions. So I think now the bigger problem for European Union integration, not only the membership of Ukraine or some other countries, they are still in a, some uh, you know bad situation, not only for domestic affairs and also for you know external relations. And also I think the populist itself will give some uh, very big challenge to the European Union for the future. For example, not only the FD from Germany, and also even also, you know, the PPW from the Netherlands and also some other countries. So I think the election will happen on the uh, next June for the European Parliament will be a very big test, which will redefine what's a real European integration in the future. Professor Broken now, so the, the challenges, uh, let's say, are multiple. Uh, you know, of course, we have the Hungary, um, they disagree with the idea to have uh, Ukraine inside this bloc, but also probably other countries have their different con concerns too. So like, you know, people are talking about the Dutch, you know, if the next government, they could be say, have someone as a prime minister who say, no, uh, we don't want the EU uh, to enlarge or to include like uh, Ukraine and other countries. Well, the European Union is not a state. The European Union is an organization consisting of sovereign states. And that means that they all have different opinions and they don't go to war to find out who's right. They go to committees and fight in the way we then see in the media that people like Orban can even blackmail the rest of the group to make the European Union look like a lame organization that cannot even send a positive signal by the end of the year. But what we see, what has been said by my Chinese colleague before, that there is a need for reforming the European Union before it is ready to accept new members, this is not new. This has always happened in the seven enlargement rounds that we had new reform treaties, and these treaties try to make the European Union more effective, efficient, democratically accountable to be ready for the new challenges. So what we currently see with Viktor Orban in Hungary is kind of not only a blackmailing game, but ping pong. The European Union sent a signal that bad democratic backsliding in Hungary is so serious that they freeze the transfers from the European Union funds to Hungary if Hungary doesn't meet conditions. And now Orban returns it and points the finger at, Hungary, uh, at Ukraine and says, if Ukraine doesn't meet the conditions that Hungary formulates, he will not accept money being transferred to Ukraine. So that makes the thief look as if he calls police, law enforcement, and he's the good guy, and he points domestically, while internationally the European Union looks like unable to solve its internal problems. Glenn, I mean, how big um, a factor is the Hungarian opposition in terms of Ukrainian membership of the EU here? Well, I think Hungary will be one of the main obstructions to Ukrainian membership uh, Well, for the time being. Again, this will go on for many years, so this will, of course, change over time as the EU and its member states change. But I guess the main argument from the Hungarians is that this is... Uh, 
it's well they, they call it nonsense and the reason is well as was just stated the intention of doing this i mean even though they can't become a member for at least another 10 years but why do it exactly now the purpose as was just said is to send a positive signal and this is kind of what they're criticizing that this is you know simply signaling with these kind of things that's not how how uh, you know the eu should conduct its affairs but hungary of course it has other concerns uh, the economic one but they share this with you know from slovakia to poland which is that the huge uh, agricultural products from ukraine because keep in mind they have the black soil they have well again ukraine is just one big farm almost this is uh, so much uh, agricultural products they provide and this causes huge disruptions within the eu and the eu is also very sensitive to agriculture so and also uh, ukraine would demand a lot of money which would then also be redirected away from countries such as hungary uh, also you have they have also concerns about the political and social situation uh, which is different from germany because uh, keep in mind that after the coup in 2014 the ethno-nationalists gained a lot of influence in ukraine and a key concern for hungarians has been that the significant portions of uh, ethnic hungarians in western ukraine have seen their rights uh, being uh, trampled on more and more and i think lastly that this is seen as being a geopolitical mistake by the hungarians because uh, you know, it will make Ukraine's problems into the EU's problems. And they see this part of being a wider campaign against Russia, which they simply do not need. So, and again, it's the senselessness of it, because uh, I think no, nobody really now believes that the EU will ever make Ukraine a member. So, and I don't think Hungary alone would be able to block it either, to be honest, uh, if it really wanted, because, uh, you know, Hungary can be, uh, you know, they can be bullied, they can be sanctioned, they, you know, the EU can block their funds, suspend their voting rights. There's always ways to overcome the objections of Hungary. But I suspect that the, there's a several other member states which just wants to send a positive signal, but mm -hmm. not actually see these negotiations go anywhere. I, I see Hungary, Hungary as being a key obstacle, but uh, but there's a lot more behind this. But Glenn, you know, there's, a, you know, people would say by enlarging the EU to include more members. Uh, you know, on one hand, uh, it is a show of force uh, to Russia, let's say, you know, that's a con security con concern for the European Union. And on the other hand, you know, I mean, globally, the EU will be increasing its uh, global competitiveness, let's say, in terms of influence, you know, probably on par with the EU, uh, with the United States, with China, with Russia, by having more members, but becoming more influential. I mean, does that make any sense? Yeah, but I, I think that this has always been the discussion within the EU, uh, especially from the 90s. Do they go wider or deeper? In other words, if they take in more members, it's going to be harder to do deeper integration. So they always attempted to find a balance between wider and deeper, which is why it's often been easier to absorb these uh, smaller countries, uh, which has, you know, again, better economies, but also more compatible economies and uh, have the ability to to actually reform their governance. But uh, again, uh, I think that uh, I don't simply see a, that happening in Ukraine uh, for the time being. And uh, and in terms of the, the tensions with Russia, I, again, I, I don't, the Russians do not oppose, uh, well, officially at least, they don't oppose uh, Ukraine joining the EU. The reason for going invading Ukraine was because they, they can't live with uh, NATO in Ukraine, which is seen as an existential threat. Of course, if the EU doesn't go hand in hand with NATO into Ukraine, I don't think that the Russians would oppose it. But uh, I, I would, again, it does make sense politically, economically. I think 
the geoeconomics of it. I think, yes, that would make sense that they're trying to bring Ukraine properly into the West uh, at this uh, point in time when things are so yeah, difficult in, in Ukraine and try to, again, wrestle it with the Russians. But beyond the, geo sorry, the, the geopolitics of it, I don't think it would make much sense otherwise, which is, again, why I'm quite doubtful that this will go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yan, do you think the EU will be successful uh, in terms of the enlargement here uh, with the latest round to include, you know, Ukraine, Moldova, you know, Georgia and Western Balkans? You know, but also, will it succeed in I mean, growing its influence globally to become a, a factor that uh, you have to, for other countries, you have to deal with? I think it depends on more and more the uh, environment now for uh, further enlargement for European Union. It's very different from the past. Also, you know, the last, uh, I mean, big enlargement for European Union is just uh, shortly after the end of the Cold War. At that time, European Union uh, gained a lot of uh, we call the benefits from its uh, end of the Cold War. But at this time, I think it's very different. I think that now European Union also is thinking to change approach of uh, enlargement, especially there are also some other competition, especially between, for example, European Union and the Euro-Asia Union led by Russia, and also indeed, to some degree, a competition between European Union and the NATO. Also, you know, now NATO has another enlargement with a new member of the uh, Finland and maybe Sweden in the future. But how about the European Union? And now, as we know recently, uh, some European leaders, there is another issue about the EPC. It's called the European Political um, uh, Community. I think it's a new thinking about the, the new uh, approach for European enlargement, especially as we know, even for Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia, I think they are also very different from the other members when they are joined into the European Union. Of course, I think now some more preconditions for another European Union enlargement is, for example, the end of the Ukraine and the Russia conflict. And also how about the, the real, I mean, dynamic for single market? I think now it's a very, very big consideration for some uh, major economies within the European Union. Of course, uh, with Ukraine, Moldova, and uh, Georgia, and even some uh, Western Baltic states, uh, it's good for Germany, for France, or some other major economies in the European Union. But uh, at the same time, it will you know, bring some other troubles for the European Union itself. For example, how about the new, I mean, the pattern of the budget? Who will you know contribute more, and then who will you know become uh, as we know the pure contributor for for this uh, budget? I think that there will be some other you know disagreements, not only between Hungary and some other member of the uh, European Union, even some other you know new members, as we know, especially Central and Eastern European countries, they do will have to have their own you know understanding and have their own complaints. So I think now the European Union enlargement in a very, very different context, and it could or it should have a new you know, mission and a new understanding and a new thinking about the way back. Professor Brokner, uh, what's your response? You know, if you look at the, uh, the, the enlargement, obviously, I mean, the, in particular, 
a previous uh, round of enlargement, the end of the Cold War, you know, the, it, you had this peace dividends, you know, it's easier to handle a strong economy. Now the EU is not at its best time, you know, uh, in terms of budget, as Hun Jian mentioned. Uh, it's really about, you know, which country is, is going to contribute more probably to help the new members, uh, you know, poorer economies there. So is that a concern for some countries? Well, the European Union has never been in a perfect situation to accept new members. When we look to the 70s, Denmark, Ireland and Britain joined in the height of the oil crisis. And we had other situations in which it has never worked smoothly. And when we look at the economic consequences for the European Union, it was always that it got poorer with new members. But then for the new members, it was a fascinating modernization and boom strategy. Poland and Ukraine were basically on equal terms when the wall came down. And now Poland grew 400%. Of course, people who are afraid of not being competitive enough or don't want to share with their Ukrainian counterparts block roads and complain. And both truck drivers and farmers have reasons to complain. But when we look at the bigger picture, this is not about the European Union being a cancer cell that swallows its neighbors. We should rather look at it from the other end, that countries voluntarily choose to want to become like us. And this is already a success story as such. And when we look what has happened ever since Ukraine has decided to turn further to the West, the economic boom is maybe the reason why Russia invaded Ukraine and bumped it back to a different level of development. Because if it would be a success story, Putin has all the reasons to fear that people would want to do something similar in Russia, and that would put his regime at risk. Yes, I mean, uh, Glenn, if you look at the process, and uh, it, it will always be uh, challenges and, uh, and uh, problems, let's say. I think uh, Professor Bruckner uh, has a point, you know, you have these new members and then there, there are new markets, new potential for growth and for prosperity for all the EU members there. But then, of course, before doing that, you need uh, some uh, probably reforms of the institutions of the EU. For example, people are talking about the reform of uh, scrapping the veto rights of certain, some members like that of Hungary. I mean, how likely is it uh, about you know, robbing another state of this uh, of voting rights? Well, I, I think that's where the problem comes in, because uh, over the past few years, there's been a lot, uh, especially from uh, Ursula von der Leyen, been arguing that uh, we needed more geopolitical EU, one that, again, looks at the bigger picture and uh, not necessarily just seek to deliver these uh, economic incentives to member states. But again, if, if this also includes widening the EU to the, uh, by bringing in huge countries like, like Ukraine, which is, again, different from Moldova or Georgia, uh, the, the problem then would be uh, that it, it can't really rule by consensus anymore. So the EU would have to become more uh, assertive. Again, uh, there's a British scholar from the 1960s, David Mitrani, who pointed this out, that uh, the, the EU over time would, would have to become more authoritarian if it, if it didn't, wasn't able to be functionalist in terms of delivering actual uh, enough goods for the member states in order for them to voluntarily transfer some sovereignty to the European structures. So I, I, I just don't uh, see, it, uh, see it happening because uh, for, for countries, be it Poland, Hungary, all of them, they will initially look at their national interests first. And national interest means uh, protecting their economies as well from a huge uh, agricultural 
uh, state like like uh, Ukraine. So so I, I this I think a lot of this has been caught up because exactly because of the war. This because of war with uh, which uh, the West now fights with Russia. Uh, there's this. Uh, incentive to look at the bigger picture, to ignore the minor stuff, the economic issues. But uh, again, when this war comes to an end as well, these economic uh, divisions within the EU will only resurface and get a higher priority. So so again, I think this is what good, was a, in a good time to send a signal because I think that once the war is over, there will be less opportunities uh, to do so. Well, Hong Jian, do you think this uh, membership talk of Ukraine will have any impact on the uh, conflict with Russia? Uh, certainly, I think uh, in short time that the, uh, there will be some uh, encouragement for uh, Ukraine. As we know now, it's a very special time for uh, Ukraine to get some problem from the United States and even European countries uh, to have some more assistance, especially militarily. So I think uh, at this moment, uh, more you know, political uh, symbolic signal from the uh, European Union to Ukraine say that, okay, you will be uh, in a part of the uh, uh, politics of uh, European uh, countries, and then, of course, it will give some more long-term hopes for the Ukraine. And also, yes, to be a member of the uh, European Union would be a kind of a, a, a tot- uh, autonomous for this, uh, you know, membership of uh, uh, NATO for Ukraine. Also, you know, to be a part of uh, NATO will be, you know, less and less hopes for 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 Ukraine. But as, yes to be a part of the Ukraine Union, perhaps, European Union, perhaps, uh, you know, not so bad, I think, uh, offer from the Western countries. But of course, I think it's difficult to find some director or long time, uh, you know, influence, impact from this uh, membership of Ukraine of uh, in European Union on its relations with Russia. Also, you know, now Russia has, has some more space for the membership of Ukraine in European Union. Of course, now I think it shows that uh, Russia is trying to, you know, take use of the uh, uh, leverage of the uh, difference between European countries and the United States on its uh, policy and also stance mm-hmm. on the uh, Russia. I think that for the future that uh, perhaps it will be uh, maybe a chance for the Europe Union and the Russia to reshape their relations once they, of course, uh, try to find uh, some solutions for the current conflict and also especially to reshape the European security architecture, of course, with Russia, not without Russia. Well, Professor Broken, uh, briefly, so there's a hope, but uh, let's say the prospect of having Ukraine inside EU is, uh, is uh, I mean, it's a long journey. Well, it's definitely a long journey if we compare it with previous enlargement rounds, but it's not like being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. There are multiple ways to integrate Ukraine step by step. There are millions of Ukrainians who are already fully integrated in European Union labor markets. And the same can be said for a number of policies that are much more important for the European Union than agriculture. Well, with that, we come to the end for today's show. Many thanks to our guests. I'm Xu Qindu. Thank you for being with us. See you next time. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. 
Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in.